Hello, I'm Eddie Merckx. Welcome to the VeloCast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the VeloCast analysis of the 2016 Tour de France. Today's Stage 5 was set to be our first look at the GC riders, although not one that would be decisive given the parkour on offer. What we did get, though, was the rare sight of a solo breakaway win by BMC's Greg Van Avermaet, who had dropped erstwhile companion Thomas de Ghent with still 17 kilometres to go. And the Belgian was rewarded for his efforts not only with the stage win, but also taking the yellow jersey. And on a stage that he said didn't actually suit him. A stage which it has to be pointed out before we get down to the serious cycling punditry. Um, Killian, and he's, he's got... Why, who's joining us? <laughs> well, Killian's got this wee thing on Snapchat, which is something that the youth use today, apparently, to communicate, which talks about betting and cycling. And they all won a mint today by betting on Greg Van Avermet because Killian gave them advice on the wrong stage. They thought they were betting on yesterday. <laughs> It's a few hundred euros up. I'm telling you, they made a serious amount of money because Killian couldn't tell what day it was. <laughs> well, that's very fitting, I feel, because tactically, I thought today's stage was strange. In fact, I, I, I could go so far as to say it was as strange as me switching on the news tomorrow to hear that you were romantically linked with Taylor Swift. Well, you know, join the queue. Um, I mean, the queue to be romantically linked with me. I've got to be said, I, I, unless of co- unless of course, romantically linked is a euphemism for being caught exposing yourself at a dining room window again, yeah, or snuck into her house and handcuffed her to me or something. Um, <laughs> what we got today, actually, you know, getting down to the serious cycling stuff, is we got a wormhole in time, just as we did with stage three. You know, in stage three, we got what used to be the archetypal sprinter stage, where nothing would happen until the last. 20, 30 kilometres, at which point all hell would break loose as the sprint teams fought for the win. Now that's what happened in the 80s, and maybe even the early 90s. And the other thing that happened quite a lot in the, you know, the 80s and early 90s was people would bugger off up the road for a break and they'd get like a quarter of an hour. 15 minutes at one point. I mean, it, it, it was like Claudio Chiappucci in 1990 all over again. It was mental. Yeah, I was expecting to see those mad oversized wrap round shades that, that Claudio used to used to sport and a and a really badly patterned jersey <laughs> that would etch as soon as you looked at it. I mean, really, really brave riding from uh, from Greg Van Avermaet. I think he deserves. I don't think we can heap enough plaudits on him. Actually, he was out there in the break, uh, which was a very, very strong break. You know, with people like uh, Rafa Weika, uh, Thomas de Gent, you know, serious riders up there, and then you know, not content with being in the break and, and forcing the split, which got them down to, to three riders with Grivko and de Gent. He then took off on his own with a substantial number of cl- kilometres left to go, and had a solo victory, which you know, it, it was very impressive. It was a classic feat of the Tour de France. So. Greg Van Avermaet, man of the day by far, and another one, can you believe it, another one who at the age of, what is he, 31, wins his first yellow jersey in the Tour de France, it's a year for popping their cherries. It clearly is, and not only takes the stage, but as I said in the intro, takes the yellow jersey too, and it's not as if it's he's got a couple of seconds unexpectedly on the, the GC, which has allowed him to get into yellow at this point. He's got five minutes and 11 seconds, which poses a very, very interesting question for me. It's all very well and good, lo- heaping praise upon uh, GVA for this. 
As we should, because it was a cracking win, really well taken, mm-hmm. strongly taken against some really good opposition in that breakaway. But with a team that has two guys with ambitions for at least a GC podium, surely being forced to defend a five-minute lead with a rider who's not a GC man is a very strange thing for BMC to have to face at this point in the Tour de France. It is really weird, isn't it? Particularly since I thought we got very strong performances from both uh, Richie Port, who was where we expected him to be prior to you know his, his misfortune with the mechanical the other day, and TJ Wingarden. So both of those, both of those two pronged attack guys, actually performed really strongly as well. And you now have a BMC who have to, if they go by standard cycling convention, have to defend the yellow. Ashley, um, who you'll hear me talking to in a wee while, actually touches on the atmosphere at BMC. But, um, you know, Jim Okovitz and, and his DSs have got some serious pondering to do for, you know, the tactical way forward for the team. Having said that, Greg went after him, it's a classy, classy rider. So I don't think they'll be too disappointed, you know, for a rider who's given the team so much of their success and so much of their publicity to get the reward of a yellow jersey in his Palmaris. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it does come down to this cycling convention. And I remember talking about this uh, at the Giro, where I think it was at the time, uh, Orica Greenedge defending a jersey and, and being forced to do all the work when it really wasn't in their best interest to do so because they were just setting. I had no their hope own... for the GC in the long term. They were just doing it because it's the done thing. Yeah, well, I think actually they, they did have some, some hope for, for the jersey in the long term. Oh, Chavez! But... Yes, indeed. And I think, I've been meaning to say this for some time, it's a damn disgrace Esteban Chavez isn't at this race, just simply to lighten the mood. Uh, it's been it's been a cracking race thus far, but it would be made even better by Esteban Chavez being there. He should be made to ride all GT, uh, Grand Tours just to brighten everybody's day. But getting back to the plot, if there was one... I said of, of Orica Greenedge at the time, uh, at the Giro, that they were fulfilling the team leaders I beg your pardon the, the, the GC leaders role in defending the jersey and being made to do all the work at the front of the peloton while the other teams like Astana and Movistar etc were eyeing them up for, for when they could make the kill and it's really silly to do that and I think from for BMC's point of view they will be forced to do that over the next few days because Greg Van Avermaet's uh, race lead is so substantial that it may actually take a lot of the, the, the legs out of Richie Port and um, TG Van Garderen's bid to get higher up in, in GC through the other riders having to, to do all that work. Can I pose a, a slightly alternate theory? Go on. Which is that uh, because Greg Van Avermaet actually has a substantial lead in yellow, he can drop quite far back from, you know, once they hit the Pyrenees and still keep the jersey. You know, they've got to take back loads of minutes. So you could easily see a situation where, you know, BMC have enough riders left to, to look like they're defending the yellow and send Richie or TG up the road for a punt and go, look, our guy's got the yellow, so you have to deal with him, and, and we'll just go and do our own thing. I mean, it's it's weird. I do, I do think they have options. I genuinely think they have options, but they'll have to be clever, and I think they will have to be innovative. You know, if they just blindly act as the team who've got the yellow jersey, then it'll blunt the, the dual-pronged attack that they perhaps have. Um, 
But, you know, it's a problem that's a good one to have. You've got to say, when you look at them with their, their main GC guy, uh, in my eyes, Richie Port lost that time with his mechanical, a TJ who redeemed himself a wee bit towards the end of the Tour de Suisse, but for me still didn't look like the complete package. If you'd said to Andy Reese or Jim Okovitz, actually, we can guarantee you a few days solidly in yellow, after Richie's mechanical, I'm pretty sure they would have said, yeah, we'll take that. That's good publicity for the team anyway. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, but I'm just kind of, as I say, thinking longer term across the, the entire three weeks of this race, whether they've given themselves somewhat of a, of a poison chalice. See, I don't know if they need to worry, because if it goes by today, movie star will just go to the front and hammer it for no apparent reason anyway. <laughs> for shits and giggles, as the, as the youth say. Uh, now, here's another Question regarding strange tactics or, or at least strange happenings. Nibali was dropped with still 30 kilometres or so to go. Now, I was really confused by this because it poses this question for me. Nibali's there as a self-professed domestique for Fabio Aru. Mm-hmm. And if he's getting dropped on a climb like that, what bloody use is he going to be when he's for his team leader when it really matters when we hit the Pyrenees or subsequently the Alps? See, I've got I've got my tinfoil hat on for that one too. Uh, my theory is that Nibali was never going to be the the leader. I've, I've, again, I, I was chatting to Ashley to get a feel of how the team are, um, which you'll hear later. But I think what what we saw today for me, Nibali, he didn't even look like he was trying to keep up. You know, he just didn't. When he was popped, it looked like he was out in a training ride or was nipping down to the shop for some biscotti and coffee. He didn't look like a man who had any conviction in trying to keep up with the leading group. And, you know, we've seen time and again that Astana have been tactically brilliant at the end of stage races and have, you know, appeared, as, as we often say, like the Spanish Inquisition when nobody expects them to, you know, to, to pluck the leader's jersey as it enters its last days. So I've got this picture in my head with that brutal last weekend of Nibali being half an hour, 40 minutes down because he sat up during the Pyrenees or whatever. And, you know, he's allowed up the road because he's a great champion and, you know, they want to win a stage. And suddenly an Astana, who have seemed all at odds for the entire race, get together, work like an absolute machine to bridge Aru up to Nibali and the two of them, two up to put Aru in the jersey. The big kibosh on that for me is that I'm not sure Aru's got, Aru's got the power but I think he, he looked so relaxed when he was dropped it smacked more of a tactical plan than you know the collapse of a great Grand Tour rider I've heard crazier plans than that or crazier conspiracy theories than that rather so we c- can only watch over the next two and a half weeks to see exactly what happens seriously I mean the thing to watch is watch how much time he loses uh, because he, he'll need to put himself in a situation, and he nearly did it in one day today, where he's essentially a complete irrelevance. Uh, well, he lost 14 yeah, minutes today. A matrix shitload of time. But, you know, if he suddenly, when we get to the bigger climb, starts to look a bit more impressive, then I'll be thinking, this is tactical. Because Vinokurov, you know, in his lovely wee flat cap, and where he passed his name on the road, where he's smashed his pelvis a few years ago today. He's many things, but stupid isn't one of them. And time and again, we've written a stand off for them just to to nip in at the end and and snatch the victory. So it actually wouldn't surprise me if it was a a tactical move today because he didn't look in distress at all. So in a show that is peppered with questions, here's the next one for you. What, and it actually goes towards this 15 minute or 14 minutes down on, on the stage. What on earth happened to Mikel Landa? 
brought in to Team Sky to be a backup GC rider and defend Chris Froome, and he came in 14 minutes down today. Well, you see, the last weekend so hard that I could easily see a situation. <laughs> now, see, that works for Astana because they've got previous. I'm not seeing that working with Sky. The one thing, I mean, the one thing is Sky um, looked, looked, I mean, they didn't have quite as many riders as I thought they should have had around Froome at the end. But Yeah, because one of them was, was 14 minutes back down the road. Yeah. What I would say is I suspect they have a game plan. And I think Brailsford actually hinted at it when he talked to Ashley, where they recognise that this last week that we keep talking about, and if it's a damp squib, I'll be really, really cross, is so hard that they're actually rotating them into form. You know, they've got guys who have been told, unless Chris is in trouble, you take it easy and you save yourself because we are going to burn you like Joan of Arc at the stake when we hit that last week in service of Froome. So I think they, they thought Froome was happy today, they thought he was comfortable, and the riders who came in behind were effectively just chucking it in the granny ring and spinning in to try and save their uh, you know their force and their strength for later in the race, where they'll want to use them as, as proper driving engines for Chris Froome. And just speaking of that interview that Ashley had with uh, Dave Brailsford outside the Team Sky bus, he, he was talking about Geraint Thomas apparently having probably worse injuries than, than we thought he had. Yeah, and, and he was up there today. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's looking more impressive to me than he looked in the entire Tour de Suisse. Um, very, very strong ride from Thomas today. Uh, and I've got to say, an effortless looking ride from Froome. Froome was... He's, he really stands out with that ungainly style of his and there were a lot of bits today where for me he was virtually in, invisible because he was riding so much within himself and just sitting in the bunch so much. I think Team Sky are uh, are, are right where they need to be just now. I, I'm, I'm not really worried about the guys who came in behind. I think it's part of a plan where they're, they're trying to spend their domestiques at different points in the race. Now, with that theory kind of in mind, then I guess the question that we should ask, and it's one that's maybe odd to ask given that they look so strong, uh, are Movistar doing too much work? Have they peaked too early? Have they peaked too early? (laughs) Are they doing too much too early in in the tour with with this notion that others are saving riders for for later on? Because we did see, I mean, the the only team that hammered it at the front were were Movistar today. When Team Sky came to the front later on, you couldn't really say that they were putting in a blinding pace. I'll tell you what struck me about Movistar today, and it, it, it confirmed what we've been talking about since the preview. They felt far more like a team than they ever have for me. You know, they've got a long history going back through Cast Despanion and everything. But Today, when Roman Bardi had the, you know, that big push because he's on home territory in the, you know, in the Avern today, and the, the four got away, and it was Bardi and Thibaut Pino, and it was Nairo Quintana and Alejandro Valverde, and Valverde for me, on a day where a lot of people, including Chris Froome, had tipped him for the win, looked very much like a super domestique, and I think seeing that cohesion in the team is actually. It's almost a better sign than the fact that they might be doing a bit too much work too early. It's a bad sign, if you see what I mean. Um, I think they feel like a team. They're you know they're working as a team, and maybe it, they've just got their their tails up a bit and they're they're working a bit too hard because they've got too much energy. Nairo Quintana, as everybody said, is impossible to read, but uh, you know he looked very comfortable today. And with you know with Alejandro Valverde as your lieutenant at your at your right hand. 
I think he's he's looking just as dangerous as Froome for me just now. And I'm, I'm not worried about Movie Star or Sky, actually. I think they've come through this first week, you know, we're, we're midway through the first week uh, in exactly the place they want to be. Well, more curious than, than anything we've discussed th- thus far, I think, has to be the tale of Tinkoff and Alberto Contador being dropped today. We, we know that he has been struggling after that, that crash a couple of days ago, and we're all wondering whether Bert, as he has done in the past, was, was sandbagging somewhat. I think it's patently clear now that that sadly he's not up to where he would like to be and, and he, he has been admitting it I was even saying before today's stage that you know I couldn't wrap my head around why Alberto was being so honest um, or, or claiming to be so honest and letting his rivals know that he was really struggling surely as, as a tactical advantage you want to keep that to yourself so people aren't invited to to attack you but I think after what we saw today it's clear that his position on the bike isn't very good he's clearly hurting and, and, and suffering but what was really really odd for me was the tactics displayed or lack thereof by Team Tinkov as a whole. Yeah, I mean, Rafael Micah, damp squib um, in the break. Um, Kreuziger riding for himself. Uh, Alberto dropped. Really struggling with his bike. I mean, we've talked so often about one of the reasons we like him is, you know, and, and we are fans of Alberto Contador is that he is a stylist on the bike, you know, and if you go through the history of riders that you and I have liked, um, with a few exceptions, all of them are stylists on the bike, you know, they, they just look pro. And Alberto Contador today, I was heartbroken watching him coming up to the line, actually, because there was that scene where, you know, all the other riders had crossed and we were wondering just how much time Contador would lose. And... He looked really uncomfortable in the bike. His entire right-hand side, which is the shoulder that he'd injured, had almost collapsed over the handlebars. You know, he, he, he didn't have the, the posture or the strength to hold the weight of the handlebars. And I think we're in a situation where, unless he recovers, I could easily see him dropping out after the first of the big Pyrenean stages. Um, I think he's in a bad, bad way. You know, Ashley's been telling us for days that Alberto looks terrible as he crosses the line. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's not a smokescreen. And I, I genuinely think what's happened is he said to the guys, guys, not even sure if I can carry on. I'm, I'm really hurt here. So ride for yourselves. Let's see if we've got any other options as a team. Uh, because he didn't look even vaguely like the Alberto Contador we're used to. And he's determined. You know, he's a champion. We've seen in that film where, you know, he was in the same team as uh, He Who Must Not Be Named. And we saw the strength of character that got him through uh, to win a tour where essentially, you know, half of his own team were against him. In fact, everybody except was it Paolo Tiralongo was against him, uh, and, and Johan Bruniel was disgusted when he worked with uh, the Schleit brothers and all sorts of stuff. So Alberto has a will of iron to, to match his physical capabilities, but I think he's, he's, a broken, he's a broken rider just now. I think he's really struggle to bring it round, and the team are just casting about for something to do now that their main focus is gone. Very much like Kofid is with Nasser Bahani, as we talked yesterday, actually. I mean, Sean Yates speaking after the stage was... was quoted as, as saying we had a few balls to juggle today, referencing of course Peter Sagan in yellow and Alberto uh, struggling. He didn't and say that when he was with US Postal. <laughs> let's move swiftly away from that. Um, he was quoted as saying we had a few balls to juggle today and we dropped them all. Yeah, I mean it was tactically, it was absolutely baffling. I mean Micah was one of the, when that nine man uh, break went away 
Rafa Mauka was the guy who I thought, well, you know, he's let himself drop back on the GC, as we've talked about with Nibali earlier on. He's in this kind of break. He's going to be really strong. He didn't look like it. Kreuziger, for me, when he crossed the line, he lost a few seconds, I think, but he looked like he didn't know what to do. You know, you were saying you saw him glancing back to see where Alberto was in case he had to go back. So I think they were a team where the focus is just lost now. It's such... Although, you know, let's face it, they've got Peter Sagan, which is going to save everybody. But Peter Sagan is essentially a, a, a freelance rider that can, if, when he uses his teammates, will, but can manage fine on, him, on his own. And in fact, we saw some high comedy from, from him today when he was dropped uh, and, and was, you know, flicking his elbow at the motor rider to come past and give him a hand. Uh, but, you know, they're a team focused around Alberto Contador, and I think Alberto is gone. You know, the lights are out, nobody's home, uh, and he's, he's riding on just in pure strength of will just now. So uh, if he doesn't turn around, I don't think we'll see a great tour from Tinkoff other than the force of nature that is Peter Sagan. Mm. I mean, you, you mentioned there that Peter Sagan can quite easily be seen as a, as a one-man team and never really needs teammates round about him. I guess we could also say that of Alberto Contador at, at times. You know, we've mm-hmm. talked about Movistar being a, a, a great force when it comes to team riding. Team Sky, of course, have, have done it for, for many a year now. But when it comes to, to the Grand Tours, we just expect Alberto Contador to be looking after himself. And, and maybe because they're so used to him looking after himself when things are good, they just don't know how to react when things are going bad. But I, I'm I'm just looking at GC just now and, and it looks horrible and looks really damning for him uh, sitting in 25th place 6 minutes and 38 down but you've got to take into consideration that Greg Van Avermaet has a 5 minute and 11 lead over anybody else so two people like Chris Froome Alberta's only what 1 minute and 20 down some, something like that so I mean it's, it's not a huge amount but Again, looking it's the at way he looked, was, though exactly, yeah, exactly. That. you know, it's the yeah. way he looked. He, he looked like, and he himself said he lost less time than he expected to, and I think he did. You know, I think he went out with very low expectations of what he'd achieved today. We saw his DSs um, saying, you know, they they had bad feelings about what Alberto was going to do today. So I I don't think that was smoke and mirrors. I think they were being completely honest. And I think because he's a great champion, he's limited the losses. And you know, we talked during the Giro when Chavez dropped back and Nibali came forward to, for the victory about how being a great champion is limiting your losses on the days where you might lose an absolute bucket load of time. And Alberto's done that. But the worry for me was the way he looked on the bike. You know, he just doesn't look comfortable. And it's one thing not having the force and the fitness to push your legs round. It's another actually being uncomfortable in what is effectively your office for five or six hours of the day. Just a, a quick mention then of, of a couple of other riders outside of all this tactical shenanigans that, that have been going on and, and the, the wins and, and losses throughout. Uh, Roman Bardet, really encouraging to see him attack. And I, and I don't think it was just because he's on, on home ground or, or near where he, he grew up. I think that was a genuine statement of intent that he's come to be up amongst the, the GC guys this year. No, absolutely. I'd completely agree with that. I think um, he looks strong. Uh, his team actually look 
reasonably credible, um, and I thought it was it was very very much an indication of what we can expect moving forward into the Pyrenees. That the four in that wee group were the the two movie star guys and Thibaut Pino. Um, you know, the two Frenchmen are very credible. The French press are really talking them up, but they're performing to a level where that's justified. You know, they certainly both look like they're fit for the podium uh, moving forward. And we've seen um, Bardi not so much, but certainly from Thibault, we've seen the improvement in his time trial, in which I think will stand him in good stead. So, yeah, Bardi was good. Pino was good. Uh, the French have no victories yet, uh, which is a bit unfortunate in their home race, something they've kind of got used to over the years. Uh, but, you know, at least they've got a couple of credible GC solid top five guys, I think. And uh, Alaphilippe was struggling a bit during during the day, but I think he can be pleased overall with, with his performance coming in seventh on the stage, which has actually put him up to second on GC. Yeah, and I thought he was going to be dropped at one point. You know, mm. he looked like he was really struggling to hold the wheel at the back of the group. Uh, but, you know, managed to, to get back on and then finish strongly enough, as you say, to move up to second in the GC. So uh, he was a hot favourite for a lot of people for today's stage. I thought he looked like he was struggling a wee bit, a, a couple of points. But, you know, his finishing position just shows how determined he was. And mentally, you know, the, the whole mental side of cycling is, is a big thing. When you're suffering to the point where you think you can't go on, you can usually manage a wee bit more. And Alaphilippe showed that to us today. Well, John's been talking about it throughout the, the show and I think now's time we went over to speak to Ashley House to get his thoughts on today's stage. And as ever, we're joined by Ashley House uh, from Le Lurin. And Ashley, a fantastic stage today in a part of France which I love. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to be living slightly south of where today's stage finished uh, for next summer. And the one thing that I know, because I've been there a great deal, is the roads were incredibly heavy. And we, we saw that take its toll on some big GC favourites today. We had the first real GC shaker. Yeah, it was a great stage. I, I love stages like today in the Tour de France because... Um, as a few people have pointed out actually on social media, don't forget one of the one of the big pulls of the Tour de France is actually to spell the country, and uh, certainly a day like mm-hmm. today does that. And if you're if you're looking at a house uh, roundabout here, then uh, I will definitely definitely come and stay with you. Uh, firstly, and also um, yeah, let's get those uh, <laughs> let's get those subscriptions to the Velocasting so we can make sure you afford it. But um, uh, no, it's, it's, it was a, it was a beautiful day's racing, um, and you're absolutely right about the roads as well. Many of you might have seen Greg LeMond's little alert that he did because he rode the uh, the last few K of today's stage, and he and he was really surprised at how heavy the roads were, how narrow they were as well, and how how difficult it looked like it was going to be on the descents as well. In the end, we didn't see particular difficulties on the descents, but I think that was due to the way they were racing rather than the roads themselves. But yeah, what a great stage, and you know the the race is definitely hot, uh, hotted up. Uh, we've got probably more questions than we had at the beginning, but some of them are answered. And I love days when, when I have questions and actually no one can answer them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm left scratching for a few things. Uh, the first one that really springs to mind is that there was a lot of talk as we came into the race about the, you know, the competition between Vincenzo Nibali and, and Fabio Aru about the, the leadership in Astana. And Vincenzo got dropped today, lost about 13 minutes. But for me, it didn't look like he made even the slightest effort to stay on. Just sat up and essentially rode into the finish. Yeah, that was really strange, wasn't it? I mean, we're used to seeing riders, you know, who are having difficult days, not terrible, terrible days, but difficult days, really, really pushing and pulling on the bike, uh, grimacing and, and so on, you know, especially with uh, Nibali's teammate, uh, Fabio Aru as well. When, when, he's, when he's having a bad day, you really know it. But Vincenzo just looked like he was, 
as you say, not he wasn't trying to get back on at all, was he? And to lose 13 minutes, um, something has, it, it can't be as simple as him having a bad day and couldn't keep up. It can't be that, can it? Um, whether or no. not there's been particular instruction from, uh, from Vinikarov or from, from the DSs, I don't know. I know that people have started to talk about Nibali as, um, as, as a potential, f- one of the favourites actually for this Tour de France because he was coming into form towards the end of the Giro and in the past the Giro has sometimes been really good preparation for the Tour. It looked like as he hadn't had to exert himself too badly on the, on the Giro because the other guy fell away, maybe everyone was saying, yep. maybe because after the Dauphinate, when none of us are really expecting Fabio Aru to be able to keep up, we were thinking, okay, maybe they'll play it like that. Maybe they'll put Aru there, but nobody will still be around until the day when Aru stops being able to, uh, to keep up with the other big guns, and then Nibali will come to the fore. But today, well, I mean, obviously that's not going to happen now. We'll almost certainly see Vincenzo win a stage, I guess, between now and Paris. But I have no idea what was going on with Vincenzo Nibali today, or, to be honest, Team Astana in general. Yeah, I mean, they don't seem to have any any sort of focus. We've, we've given them a lot of credit for tactical genius where they've, you know, struck late in a stage race to take overall victory. But for me today, Aru was a bit better than I expected, but they looked at best the third strongest team. I think we saw very strong performances from Team Sky. Surprisingly strong performance in terms of not quite sure why they were doing it from Movie Star. And Astana <laughs> just kind of seemed along for the ride. Yeah, I think you're being very generous saying third strongest team, to be totally honest with you. Very generous indeed. Um, the thing, Fabio, it's funny, he, 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 saw, he, he went past me just, uh, just after he crossed the line. And I thought, what's wrong with him? He, well, he hasn't had that bad a day. He just, and he was actually fine. He just always looks like he's about to burst into tears. <laughs> um, as, for, as for Astana, I have absolutely no clue what's going on in that team. I mean, I guess they're not... They're not as strong comparatively as they have been in some of the past Grand Tours that we've seen, but they're certainly not exerting themselves in any way on the front. They're not, uh, they're not showing anything. Uh, it could be absolute tactical genius. It could be. And making us all, uh, lulling us into a false sense of security. And then in those final four days, they're really going to push it on the front as we're used to them seeing. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like that at all, does it? And as for Movie Star, again, I'm with you. Great to see it. I like seeing it. And I love the fact that uh, they're making sure that Nairo doesn't lose the time like he did last year and then leave everything too late. But again, did they really need to go that hard on the front for that long today? I'm not so sure. I, I mean, you, you spoke to Dave Brailsford afterwards and uh, congratulations for getting the interview in the day of the Welsh match. I think he, he probably didn't <laughs> mind on other things. Yeah. He seemed just as confused as the rest of us as to why they were working so hard and in fact pointed you over to their bus. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he said, I've no idea. Go and talk to them. Um, yeah, it's very odd, isn't it? It's very odd. But having said that, you know, John, I remember last year you and I talking and saying at around about this stage of the race, maybe about a week later, actually, after the first rest day, uh, you know, every day we started to say, why the hell aren't Movie Star doing anything? So maybe we yeah. should give them some slack. <laughs> Now, a, a real treat to talk to Dave Brailsford because you can get a sense of what's going on at the bus. Behind you, you wouldn't have seen it at the time, but the riders were you know, making signs at the camera and all sorts of things. Yeah. Team Sky seemed very, very happy with how today went. Yeah, they do. Um, I think they were... I, I think they probably more than the others, from what I can tell, had anticipated how this stage would go and how, or how tough this stage would be. I don't mean as in it was really tough. I mean, I think they judged it much better than some of the other teams. So they didn't go all out. Um, a lot of people were saying on, uh, on Twitter and on some of the blogs and stuff that it was very clever of Tinkoff to put Micah in the, 
in the breakaway because it would make Team Sky go on the front. Actually, Team Sky just sort of sat back and said, okay, guys, you know, you go ahead. We're here with Chris. Geraint's here as well. Lots of the other guys were around him. Um, and we, we, it was no problem for them to stay and keep up pace with Movie Star, of course, who were working on the front. And I think, I think today, Team Sky did a very, very good job because they lost no time. And I think they also probably lost no energy comparative to the others too. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. And, and I mean, the other team who I think had a really good day is Team BMC. Not just the win from Greg Van Avermaet, but we saw Richie Port where we expected him to be, you know, up with the, the front runners after that bad luck early in the race. Yeah, BMC had a very good day. I, um, I don't know, what, I, I'm trying to think what you guys have said about BMC in the past. I don't know whether it's uh, going against the, or going against the party line, so to speak. But I like BMC. I liked it. I liked them when Cadell was there. Uh, I know Jim said some interesting things, but you know, generally they're a very friendly group, not just of riders, but actually the whole the team around them is pretty friendly as well. And yeah, what a great day for them. We saw TJ and Richie just at the beginning of our show, actually on the on the rollers together at the back. They seemed pretty relaxed, actually TJ especially. Um, and and yeah, you know, Richie lost that time the other day, less than two minutes. It's not the end of the world, and they probably can still say they're going with that dual-pronged approach. And again, even if they're double bluffing, it doesn't matter because whether we take their bluff or don't take their bluff, their strategy will stay the same, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to finish our chat today with the team that's, that's really raised the most questions for me, and that has to be Team Tinkoff. I mean, we saw them put Mike up in the break, uh, where he was he was touted as being one of the favourites, but seemed a bit of a damp squib. Uh, but more importantly, we saw Alberto Contador look like he's really suffering. You know, there's been speculation in the press, uh, contrary to what you've been seeing, saying, you know, when you've seen him riding past, that perhaps it's some kind of uh, smoke and mirrors, and he's trying to hide his form but for me as well as being dropped today and really struggling to get back he was sitting very uncomfortably on the bike and the team gave him no help at all I mean it seemed to me that Kreuziger who would usually be by his side was riding for himself so I think Alberto is probably in a very bad way yeah it's uh, I mean he has mentioned hasn't he that he's got to change the position on his bike because he's not comfortable actually in his in his right position and he's not able to pedal as hard as he as mm. he'd like to be able to but yeah, he he doesn't look great. I don't think it is smoke and mirrors. You know, I mean, you can't you can't go down uh, at the speed he was going down at. You know, on purpose sort of thing to to, to sort of make it, make yourself less of a threat. Uh, no, he doesn't. He, you're right. You're absolutely right. He doesn't look like he's all there. Definitely not. I mean, I've I've already said today uh, a few times. I'm betting on on him to win the Vuelta. Um, whether or not he's gonna come back into the GC situation. He's still there or thereabouts, but you're absolutely right, of course, John. I wonder whether Tinkoff now are just saying, okay, it's you know, every man for himself. And they've got a lot of guys who can do that, of course. But but exactly as you said, there are all there are so many teams that have raised some really big questions over the last uh, ten hours or so. So, I mean, you're sitting there, um, you know, supping your beer, posting pictures on social media of your lovely meals. Uh, what's your feeling about the teams as we move towards the Pyrenees? Uh, who do you think is is in their game plan where they want it to be? And who's just utterly perplexed? <laughs> uh, I think that movie star have a strategy that maybe we don't understand, but I think they're executing it perfectly, whatever it is. I think they'll be very satisfied. Team Sky are always quite relaxed. They know the riders they've got. They know how strong Chris is. I think they'll be very satisfied after these first five stages. Absolutely. Tinkoff definitely won't be. Astana, we have a whole number of questions about them. Um, and 
and I guess BMC we still still remains to be seen really how, how they're faring. But but I mean it's definitely isn't it? It's Quintana and for him, it's Movie Star and Sky, the two big favourites for this Tour de France, and those two teams that look the strongest and look the most comfortable with the way where the race is going. Yeah, and I, I, I'm at a state now where I couldn't pick a winner between those two at this point. You know, we've, now, got, we've got a solid two and a bit weeks to race, but we've seen some harsh roads, you know, behind them, and both of them still look super strong, and both of their teams still look super strong. Yeah, they really do. And the thing about Naira, of course, which um, Carlton and Sean pointed out in the commentary on Eurosport in the UK today, is that you just have no idea with Naira. Where, where, you know, you can't tell anything from his face at all. I remember even about Duez last year when he was putting those in, and I spoke to him afterwards. Even though. You know, his body must have been disintegrating. His face just looked exactly the same. Did you see, I mean, last year, I'll let you go and, and, and chat to Greg in a minute, but last year there was a, a website, actually, of Nairo Quintana's facial expressions. And it was just the same <laughs> picture in a grid of 12 with, you know, happiness, sadness, excitement. And that's pretty true, which is a really useful race in poker face if you don't know how much he's suffering. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's, it's, it's a brilliant quality that Naira Quintana has, and one he shares with Nicole Kidman, of course, who also can't give any expressions anymore. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll, on that note, I'll leave you. I'll chat you tomorrow, and, and safe driving to, uh, to your next base, Ashley. Thanks for taking the time out to, to catch up with us. All right, thanks very much indeed, John. Great to have you with us. Uh, enjoy your evening, everyone, uh, and listeners as well. I hope you're having a really good tour. And come on, Beat. Ashley, quite rightly wishing the Welsh all the best of luck tonight in the football. So the top 10s for today, Greg Van Avermet takes the win ahead of Thomas de Ghent. In third was Raphael Micah. In fourth, Joachim Rodriguez. Dan Martin came in in fifth ahead of Bartos Huzarski. In seventh was Julian Alaphilippe. In eighth, Adam Yates. Chris Froome came in in ninth. And rounding out the top 10 was TJ Van Garderen. Big changes to the general classification after stage 5. Greg Van Avermet now leads by 5 minutes and 11 seconds ahead of Julian Alaphilippe in second. In third is Alejandro Valverde at 5 minutes and 13. And just one second back is Joaquim Rodriguez in fourth at 5 minutes and 14. Chris Froome sits in fifth at 5 minutes and 17. Along with Warren Barguil in sixth, Nairo Quintana in seventh, Fabio Aru in eighth, Pierre Roland in ninth, and Dan Martin in 10th. Just before we go on to talk about tomorrow's stage 6, I think actually Pierre Roland needs some some credit thrown his way. Uh, and the fact that, that Cannondale have managed to, to get him to a position where he's not heading into to any mountains with 19 minutes of a, of a deficit. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we've, uh, we haven't given him much credit all year. And there have been you know, exclamations of surprise when he's appeared near the front of the, uh, the race. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he'll be a force going forward, but yeah, hopefully he'll, he'll confound me. OK, now tomorrow's stage six, well, lumpy at the start is one where the sprinters will be expected to rule the roost once more. Running 190.5 kilometres from arpogen sur serre to Montauban, it features three categorised climbs, but the last of them, the Côte de Saint-Antonin, Nobleval, comes with some 40 kilometres left to race. I think uh, it could go two ways tomorrow. Uh, today played out in, in one of the ways that we suspected. Um, although with a, a different bunch of riders, my man Tommy was dropped fairly early on. I was I was very disappointed in him. I expected a bit more effort. Um, and he didn't even gun when the camera was on him, so he must have been feeling in a bad way. I've got to say, tomorrow could be the same thing. Um, you know, with the Pyrenees looming, uh, we've had 
a really quite hard day in the, the harsh roads of the Auvergne today. But with the Pyrenees looming, we could see the GC guys and their team shut it down and maybe a break get away. I doubt it'll get 15 minutes, but uh, you know it might get enough to stick. But with the hills being so early and that last hill being you know quite a bit before the finish, if the sprinters teams have a sniff of it, then we can expect to see them you know absolutely drilling it to get their man to to a shot of the line. So you know, and, and a wonderful bit of punditry, I'd say it's either going to be a breakaway or a sprint. <laughs> one of the two. One of the two. <laughs> well, does, uh, barring it being won by an astronaut riding a jet ski, I mean, you really have covered all bases there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be a bunch sprint tomorrow. I don't think the break, which will inevitably form over those hills, will get the, the leeway that it requires to to go all the way. As I say, the last climb is only, I think, a cat three and is. 40 kilometres from from the finish. So I I think it's going to be, well, it's really your Sagan, Cav, Kittle or Greipel. Um, So I'm going to completely contradict myself and go for Brian Cockard. Oh, well, there you go. I'm going to go for Steve Cummings. Well, that's that's an odd one. I think it's going to be a break and I think Cummings is going to be in it. Okay, right, you're just sticking with the break theory. I'll stick with the sprinting theory and we shall see what happens. So thank you for joining us today as Greg Van Avermaet shocked us all by taking yellow, taking the stage, but most of all, not managing to finish second. Join us again tomorrow to find out whether it was the break or whether it was the sprinters who take the day in another edition of The VeloCast. <laughs>